and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shenick & King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. In this episode, we're excited to welcome back Jessica Copeland, a member of the firm from our Buffalo office, and Jessica leads the firm's cybersecurity and data privacy group. Jessica's here today to help us for a very specific reason, and that's to talk about Data Privacy Day and give us some insight into what Bond is planning for that day. Welcome back, Jessica. It's nice to talk to you again. Thank you, Kim. Always a pleasure to chat with you when we have the time. Yes, exactly. All right. Since you were previously on the podcast, and I can't believe this, but it was almost a year ago. It was 10 months ago. Wow. But It does not feel like almost a year ago. So thank you for that reminder. <laughs> Anytime. I can refill there. Well, I was hoping you can just give us the two minutes sort of a bridge. Who is Jessica Copeland ESQ? Sure. So I born and raised Long Island, graduated with a math degree, decided why not go to law school, started practicing as an IP attorney in New York City, and transitioned to cybersecurity and data privacy, basically pulling from the uh, technical experience I had working with telecommunications and computer hardware and software patents when I was practicing in New York City, and moved to Buffalo have two kids with my husband, who's also an attorney who I met in New York City. And and here I am, member at Bond in Buffalo and love practicing law in Western New York and raising a family here. That's great. Well, thank you very much. So, all right. So I guess we should get right into it, uh, Data Privacy Day. But I think we need to start with the basics, particularly when is Data Privacy Day? Yes, I'm sure everyone is at the edge of their seat right now. It is January 28th. Get ready, be ready, be prepared. We do not get that day as a holiday, folks. So just, just as a reminder, you do need to go into work that day. All right, so January 28th. And then sort of what does it commemorate or why is it an important day? Sure. It's actually World Data Privacy Day, and it's a, it's internationally recognized as a day to acknowledge the importance of protecting personal information, private information, company confidential information to make sure that the best practices for your organization are in place to be aware of possibly the, the most recent threats to cybersecurity infrastructure within your organization. And, and basically just to refocus the, the company to, as a reminder of, are we you know, handling or managing best practices within our company? But I also would add that similar to a wedding anniversary, or Valentine's Day. Oh, it's yes, not just yes. one day that you should focus <laughs> on this particular topic or individual. Data privacy is something that should be on your mind uh, and, and in your practices throughout the year. So not just on January 28th. And don't just tell your significant other that you love them on Valentine's Day either. I think that's an excellent reminder in two ways there, Jessica. Thank you. That's, that's a great way to put it. So it also seems to me that coming at the beginning of the year, it's a good time for um, businesses to really take inventory of their practices, right? Get their resolutions in shape. Sure. Yes. Just as many people might be endeavoring new diet fads or exercise regimens, having an annual risk assessment, almost like an annual physical, is, is something many organizations are required to do now because of the ever-changing and vast-sweeping data privacy laws throughout the country and, and internationally. And so it is a good time to regroup. And if you have your risk assessment performed in the beginning of Q1 for the year, then you know every year after it's Q1 and you know let's start fresh, 
Have we had any major changes to the organization, any expansive technology changes within the organization that would alter your risk assessment and maybe change the solutions that come from that? That makes sense. And any new laws that may have dawned with January 1, right? So it's good timing. Exactly. Yes. Often, as you know, as you point out, Kim, you'll find out a new law will take effect on January 1, 2022, or maybe it is in effect, but it wouldn't be enforced until January 2023. And so um, it's important to keep all of that in mind at the turn of the year. All right. So I guess maybe we should back up just a little bit. And because we keep talking about data privacy, but maybe we should give a sort of a broad definition of what that is um, and then maybe talk about what it means at a very high level for businesses. Sure. So every organization, whether it's their employees' personal information or customer personal information, is the collector and owner or processor, and sometimes both, of private information. And so what data privacy speaks to is how an organization is required to or should protect that private information from being uh, accessed or acquired by an unauthorized individual or threat actor. All right. Threat actor. I like that. That might be. Yeah. I'm sorry. That that's sort of in the cybersecurity space, but you know, they do go hand in hand, even yeah. though they're, they're different arenas. They there's certainly overlap. That's right. Because if you can get your data privacy in order, then hopefully you can prevent having a cybersecurity issue, right? There's some pieces left or left. Right. And it, or if there's, it's really more of a mitigation step, because if you put the proper protections in place, the safeguards in place, then hopefully if there is a cyber incident within your organization, you've mitigated the ability for a criminal to access sensitive or private data. And we're not going to get too into this today, but I suppose World Data Privacy Day, it's not a, a bad idea for individuals to take some stock around this time either for their own purposes. Absolutely. You know, we we often talk about how prevalent social media is and all of the information that we just put out there into the public realm. And there are many individuals that don't realize that once you post your location, your, your name, your education, your employer name, you've created a profile that anyone can really take advantage of. And no, it's not data points within the U.S. that would trigger notification if it were breached because you're not putting your social security number out there or bank account information. But at the end of the day, we really should be the owners of our personal information and be protective of it to safeguard ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great reminder. So thank you. So I know we've talked about this before, but a a big issue in data privacy is how quickly the laws are developing and how many of them there are, and from so many different jurisdictions. So can you talk a little bit about that? I know there's international laws in the U.S. It's sort of state by state right now. We don't have a nationwide. So can you give us a little bit of that dynamic for businesses? Sure. So, you know, when you speak internationally, the the major focus has been and continues to be the GDPR, and that's the EU regulation that is, it's data privacy, but it's privacy at the forefront. There's a cultural difference between the U.S. privacy laws and EU privacy laws. And in the EU, the focus is really on the person. It's on protecting their individuals, their residents from any type of fraudulent activity, 
or even just threat of information being misused. And so their law is quite broad and would require most organizations that touch or control or process EU resident data to have certain measures in place for those EU residents to request, say, deletion of their information, correction of their information, things that U.S. residents might want to do. But if you're not in certain states that have started to employ these similar practices, like California, you just don't have the right to to ask to be deleted from somebody's website or database of information collected through the internet. So that's, that's international, that's EU. Also, what you'll see during our countdown to Data Privacy Day is we're going to issue information on China's new privacy law that actually took effect in November. There was not much lead time for organizations to have their proverbial ducks in a row for this wide sweeping data privacy law that impacts every organization processing China resident data. And I won't, I won't uh, spill the beans on what you'll find out during the countdown to data privacy day, but pay attention to our information memo that will be issued. I do know that we have some mixed media planned for the week. So be on the lookout for other blog posts or videos, different data privacy topics. But so that's, that's certainly one Outside of the U.S., Canada has its own Data Privacy Act. And then within the U.S., there are, as you said, every state has their own breach notification law. Many states are now issuing their own data privacy cybersecurity mandates that organizations handling that state residents' data need to employ. So I've talked at a number of times on the New York Shield Act. We, we do not have to get into that, that New York has issued their own guidelines in terms of what an organization needs to do to protect information of New York residents. But what many organizations may still not be aware of are certain states that have written information security plan requirements, such as the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And so that's something that will be discussed during our Countdown to Data Privacy Day as well. But to answer your original question, no, there is no general U.S. law on how to handle breach notification if there's an incident within your organization or Data Privacy Act that requires organizations to employ certain cybersecurity measures. Unless you are in a heavily regulated industry, there is not a federal law that applies. So if you're in the healthcare industry, then certainly HIPAA applies. The financial industry, GLBA in New York, it's the New York DFS. So I just, I didn't want to forget the the heavily regulated industries and including higher education, universities, and education law. Right. So those are industry by industry for federal law, but not a United States federal, some type of privacy law, like such as the GDPR. Correct. That just makes it super easy and straightforward then. It creates much more operational challenges for, for companies that are not in the regulated space. And for those in a regulated space, typically they, they need to have their own compliance department that specializes in you know risk assessments and cybersecurity to make sure that the right hand and left hand know what they're talking about. So that you know your third party vendor management and privacy compliance officer are on the same page. And so and and that's not an easy thing to accomplish when you're talking about maybe a multinational organization. Absolutely. Or in healthcare, you know, the frontline folks need to have some understanding too. 
the people who are actually conducting the work. So really a, a very sort of complicated, but important process. And one that whether folks like it or not, they have to comply with. Yes. I think that's the part that we don't get to choose. It's just sort of how it works. Well, you started out talking about this a little bit, but there's so much going around. So Data Privacy Day, World Data Privacy Day sounds like a great idea. And I think it's also a great idea that that your the practice group you lead is is focusing on that. So is there anything you want to tell us a little bit about how you see it's the week before? Is that when things are coming out? If you could just talk a little bit about what's happening. Yes. So we, frankly, we have so many topics to address. Um, we ended up expanding it a bit that compared to last year. So we will start the countdown, I believe the Wednesday before, and we will every day post either an information memo, a quick media blog or video, or maybe all of the above on different areas of interest for data privacy. So, you know, biometric information privacy acts are becoming more and more prevalent throughout the United States. Many organizations are sort of getting blindsided by them, not recognizing certain elements they need to comply with. And that the risk there is enforcement actions through regulatory bodies. If an organization is found to not be in compliance with certain privacy laws, you are not only worried about potential class action lawsuits in, in the private litigation sector, but more significantly could be penalties levied against an organization based on what they're being investigated upon by potential state attorney generals, and then the penalties that might ensue. That's a good point. We didn't know. We haven't really, like, we'll have to, you'll have to come back and we'll have to talk about that. But I think people just think that they're going to get sued civilly and that's what the risk is. But the enforcement actions and the penalties that come there are also significant and things that businesses have to be paying attention to. Absolutely. And typically, you know, you'll hear on the news that the large enforcement actions, you know, the millions or billions yeah. levied against Google or Facebook because of violations of GDPR. But what you don't hear are a state attorney general issuing a penalty of 150000 against a medium-sized organization that didn't know that they were out of compliance. That's a huge hit to a business, $150,000. So yeah, absolutely. So sorry to interrupt the flow of what's coming up that week, but I was like, oh, we're going to have to have you come back and talk about that. No, no problem. So we will also do sort of a, a review of what should be in a privacy policy and, and what the difference is between an external privacy policy and an internal privacy policy. I think some organizations think just having a privacy policy posted on their website is sufficient for their practices within the organization, but that is not the case. Always think about transparency when you're drafting privacy policies and recognize that they are specific to the, the type of data being collected. So it's it, it cannot just be, the, the term I hate, a boilerplate. It needs to be tailored to your organization to know exactly what type of data you're collecting, not just actively but inactively on your website. And then internal policies would be part of what you know, how you handle your employee information or your customer information within the organization, not what's occurring on your website. So those are two distinct policies. We'll hopefully get into the importance of reviewing those policies at least annually and potential other maybe cookie policies that should be on websites. I'm not certain exactly what's going to go into that post, but you know, yeah. keep an eye out for that. Vendor risk management and vendor risk mitigation will be a topic. I think I already talked about China's privacy law, education law 2D, again, education clients, 
continue to be challenged by having to comply with pretty rigid cybersecurity mandates within Education Law 2D. And so hopefully we'll, we'll dispel any confusion and help guide our client base in that space. And then uh, what's on the horizon? Can we even predict it? Every year I speak about data privacy, I hope that maybe the U.S. will get in line and, and, and issue at least a federal law related to breach notification obligations and requirements. Because in, in the incident response work that I do, which is a, a very large part of my practice, um, having to go through every state with the client to determine which state's law we need to look at and how the notification process varies and whether there's a deadline and do you, do you notify the attorney general in that state? Well, maybe in, in another state you do, but only if you have a thousand residents that are impacted. And again, those are laws that can be amended and changed regularly. So it's, it's not like you can just put it in the back of your mind, like a federal rule of procedure, that law is likely going to change pretty quickly. So definitely pay attention to what's on the horizon. And I think that pretty much rounds it out. I think so. So, and we're going to have a second podcast in the week as well. So there'll be a special episode this week. So stay tuned folks. Yes. With deputy chair, Amber lawyer. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the practice group, the data privacy and cybersecurity practice group. From what I've noticed, there are attorneys from a variety of other practice areas, right? So you may be in IP, it's not just IP lawyers, or even in IP, it's patent lawyers, but higher ed lawyers and others. Can you talk about the different folks that have sort of come together under this practice group? And how important is that different experience to your work? Sure. So it is a a multidisciplinary practice group. In part, it's, it's that cybersecurity and data privacy is still relatively new in the grand scheme of areas of law that law firms even provide that a general practice firm would offer. So we have to think about 15 years ago, were there attorneys starting in corporate that were going to work on data privacy? Likely not. But to your point, intellectual property attorneys, patent attorneys that have a technical background in telecommunications or computer networking, they are vital to the group because they can break down the communication between the IT professional and the CEO that is wondering why do we need to, or the CFO rather, why do we need to budget for this new expansive cybersecurity solution? Where is my risk? And so to be able to be that intermediary and you know, understand the speak coming from the technologist and explain the speak coming from the business acumen is critical to our practice group. You know, similarly, having corporate attorneys that regularly negotiate contract terms and understand the importance of indemnification clauses and limiting liability in certain uh, arenas is a very large part of our practice. And so you'll note that many of our attorneys are from the corporate department that have spent years negotiating over terms that are incredibly important for the businesses to work out at the forefront so that they don't result in litigation. And then we have litigators in our group because unfortunately now there are, you know, growing class action data privacy focused litigations. And so having that bench is significant for our firm. 
and the enforcement actions, right? It's the litigators who you call in. Exactly. And then, and similarly, we, you know, we have higher education attorneys that have been advising their clients for years on protecting their student information and their faculty information. So that has been important, you know, a primary focus of the cybersecurity and data privacy group of the firm. And now I'm sure many listening might know that under ERISA, there are new requirements for cybersecurity standards that need to be employed. And so we we have employee benefits attorneys within our group as well. So it's a very robust practice group, uh, multidisciplinary, and we handle everything from compliance, contract negotiations, incident management, and litigation. Yeah, because there's really not a business that doesn't get touched by this in some way. <laughs> no longer. No longer. No longer. Well, and I think that it would only be fair to say, too, that you know that there's no such thing as boilerplate here, a word I also don't like. And you can't pull one of these policies out of a drawer because you've even drafted one for us. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) Yes. No small feat to get lawyers to agree to a policy. I know this from personal experience. No, no, it is. um, It is a very mission critical point for any organization, whether it's the clients we serve or or internally within our firm. Yeah. So I guess that's just a way of saying that um, we take our own medicine too. We're not, just, yeah. we're not just telling you that this is important. We believe it yes. and we, we're trying to live it as well. And I, um, I do stay up at night worried about fishing. Yes. Not about not the, fish. Not the fun. <laughs> yes. Not the kind that means I might be not fly a body fishing. of water. Yes. No, no. <laughs> Although I have to say this entire conversation is triggering my younger associate days in dark and lit fiber in the telecommunications industry and having to figure out what that was. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I can expand the group to include you as well. <laughs> Everyone needs a diversity officer in their practice group. Yeah, that's true. I think so. I, I like to think of myself as honorary for the practice groups. So. This is true. <laughs> Well, so there's one thing I kind of wanted to highlight that I think is pretty cool. And that's two women are running this practice group at Bonshenik and King. So while I am a fan of your entire practice group, I um, I think that that is, it's a pretty cool point and not something I think we see that often. Is that true? It is one very important point. I think it's important to recognize, you know, not only that it's a woman-led practice group, but just the success of many women at Bond. The successful class of members is an all-woman class, and we promote women attorneys within the firm and including associates. So I'm I'm a member, I'm chair of the practice group. Amber Lawyer is a, an associate and she's the deputy chair of the practice group. And what it represents, Kim, is there are, I think we're making progress in women and technology. We talked yeah. about this a little bit in my first podcast about a year ago, <laughs> apparently. When I started practicing in patent litigation, even when I was seeking my bachelor's in mathematics, I was, I was an anomaly and right. I graduated in 2001. And I didn't understand why I was an anomaly because I just understood math and it came easy to me and I liked it and it nerdily was fun. And so I didn't 
think about it until it was brought to my attention in college, probably because I went to an all girls high school now that I think about it. But in college, when I went to a co-ed university <laughs> in the, the math classes and the science classes, I was in the minority. Now I think we're seeing that focus of STEM for young girls make its way up through the ranks. So, you know, it, within the cybersecurity and data privacy practice group, we have a significant number of, of women attorneys. And I do believe it's not only those attorneys that might have, you know, science or math background, but also women attorneys that are learning to not be afraid or intimidated by tech speak, because we are all intelligent people. We went to law school. We, we understand many facets of organizations and industries. And so why should we be, or why should women be intimidated by speaking about how a computer is set up with its network and how one computer can talk to another computer and how one device might operate its applications versus another device operating its applications. And I think to recognize that this is just a reflection of the progress women are making in STEM, and hopefully we have more room to grow in that space. Is, is really why it is an important thing to highlight and certainly hopefully is a reflection of, of progress being made. Yeah, I love that. That's so well said. And I think it's great to see emerging practice areas, right? You know, like there was no choice here. This had to emerge, right? The laws started to change and, and firms had to pay attention. But to see those and see women attorneys and particularly newer women attorneys interested in taking and sort of jumping on and learning and taking that on and in some cases, as you said, like kind of alongside what they're already doing, like they're doing mergers and acquisitions, but they're going to have, they have, you know, this is going to be an important piece of it and making sure that they're jumping on at the forefront. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've barely scratched the surface. We know January 28th is data privacy day, and there's a lot coming out from your practice group here at Bond on that. And the resources that you all are put out this week will give people a taste, some questions they should be asking, give them some basic information. But I think we're going to have to expect some more podcasts from your group throughout the year, aren't we? You will likely. Yes, I think so. Well, that's good for me. I'm always glad to have you back. And I think it's good for our listeners because there's so much to, to learn. Well, thank you so Absolutely. much. You know, I'm always on the hunt for podcast topics and an opportunity to talk to you. So thanks for joining us again, Jessica, and giving listeners this overview. I feel like maybe I should say happy World Data Privacy Day, everyone. <laughs> happy World Data Privacy Day, Kim. <laughs> I will call you specifically on the 28th as well to make sure. That. Right. I want a card. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. I think maybe I'm, gonna, I'm on that. I'm okay. on that. An electronic card would probably be more appropriate. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Perfect. An electronic card with no personal data. That's um, all right. Well, thanks for keeping us up to date on these developments and for teaching us a little more about the countdown. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. 
While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is Attorney Advertising.